written down or maybe logged in your brain your New Year's resolution? Anybody? Oh yeah, me too. I, I have. I'm ready. I'm ready for that new start, you know. Everybody gets to start over in 24. Um, I've got a lot of resolutions this year, I hate to tell you, a lot of them. I didn't just do one or two, I, I did about 15 or 20, and I'm going to accomplish every single one, or I'll roll them over to 25, you know, like, uh, roll over is good, but I just, I'm looking forward to a, a new start, a new year, freshness, new life, you know, and all the things that newness brings us. I, I think everybody gets excited for, or new, don't we? I remember when we renovated this church, and some people only came for like three weeks just because it was new. You know, it was newly renovated. Some people came, they wanted to see it. Some people came to this church when I got here because they wanted to see someone new. Uh, they're no longer here, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they're, they're long gone. But I think we like new, don't we? I mean, anybody excited when you drove over the hill today and you maybe not known that the walls were framed or on the, ex, you know, new structure out back? It's kind of exciting. You, and who, who here is going to probably wander back there in the mud and just look at it, right? I, I've been there. Uh, we love new. So I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, two verses, and then talk about this, this new year and, and hopefully compel you to walk into this new year, maybe a different way, but also knowing to be better. I don't, just raise your hand if you want to be better next year than you were this year. Anybody want to be wealthier? <laughs> yeah. Healthier, fitter, younger feeling, right? Less gray, you know, or more hair, whatever the case is. We all want new Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The cross was shameful. It was humiliating. He despised all that. He didn't worry about all of that. And now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what I want to do is I want to look at four things that you and I can do from this text to truly walk into the new year as a greater self. And I don't mean just a greater self because I want to get a new job or make more money or be healthier or, you know, want my waistline to look different or my bank account to look different or my new car to look different. I mean a new you to walk truly into the life that God has called us to. Here's what I've come to the realization of. Um, I have a daughter that's going to be 10 next month. And I shared this with the worship team earlier. I have a daughter that's going to be eight next month. Those two were the only two we had whenever we got here. Believe it or not, like years and years ago, Addie was just a baby. Those two girls are now old enough to come up to Daddy and say, Daddy, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. I, you know, and, and it just it warms my heart to know that I now have girls that are old enough to do that. They're not little toddlers playing, playing games now in the nursery anymore. They're, they're growing women who, who ask questions about the Bible and who need more than just, oh, Jesus loves you. I, I hate to tell you, but I don't have time to play games any longer. I don't, I, I don't have time to give the devil moral victories in my life because I know Christ has the ultimate victory, but we're all guilty of giving him moral victories, are we not? Because we know that God's called us to do something, but we don't have the courage quite yet to do it. 
we know we should minister to that loved one of ours, but we don't quite have the confidence to do it, or we don't have all the answers. So what happens is the devil actually gains moral victories in your life and in mine because sometimes we're fearful, we're uncertain, or we're unsure if we should even do this or not. And I know he doesn't have the ultimate victory because Christ does, but he does build up moral victories in your life and in mine. And I hate to tell you, but I'm not playing that game anymore. I've got a 10-year-old soon to be that's going to be asking questions about life, that's going to become a teenager. So, like, these girls are growing up. So in my household, we have me, my wife, praise God. We have a 17-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 4-going-on-21-year-old, and... (laughs) A two-year-old that has the attitude of a, you know, 13-year-old. It's a lot going on. A lot going on. We don't have time to waste. I was listening to Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson talk about the amount of time people waste in dollar amounts. And did you know that if you wasted about three hours a day over the course of a 40-year span, you would have wasted approximately a monetary value two to three million dollars. So imagine burning two or three million dollars of money. Would anyone ever do that? No. You'd build a house on the beach, right? I mean, you, you'd take that great vacation. But essentially, that's what we do with our time. So today, I want to try and point you to what the author of Hebrews tells the people that he's writing to, just as we can read today, that you and I, in order to truly run this race, and when I say run the race, I'm literally talking live the life that God has called you to live. Not that other people want you to live, or not that culture's telling you to live, or not what Facebook thinks you should do, or not what the algorithms of of YouTube or Google tell you to search and how to live. I mean, the life that God has called you to live, to, to literally live out the dreams that God has placed in your heart, to have the courage to do what God has called you to do. That's my hope for all of you. My hope is that we would stop flirting with lukewarm, and we would be hot or we would be cold. And I'm pleading with all of you because I want this church to do in 2024 what we've never done before. I hope we see things that we've never seen before. I hope we give more than we've ever been able to give before. I hope we reach further than we've ever reached before. That's my hope for all of us. And and we can't accomplish that by lackadaisical or just flying by the seam of our pants and going with the flow with things. We have to be very intentional. We have to be disciplined. We have to be very focused on what God's called us to do. So here we go. The first thing is to run with endurance. By the raise of hands, who likes to run? (laughs) Who likes to eat? Who likes to run? If you ask somebody, do you you run? They'd say, I'm only running if something's chasing me, right? I'm only running if something's chasing me. One thing I, I do like when I look back, you know, back in the day, I'm old enough to, I can say back in the day, uh, anybody else old enough to say back in the day I used to? Back in the day I used to enjoy running. Running was an outlet for me before I got married and before we had kids and before life has happened. I used to go run, you know, miles. And then I got to talking to Delbert Bliss. Anybody remember Delbert Bliss? He was a runner. I thought I would go running, you know, like, oh man, three miles is so fun. Delbert would run marathons. And if you never got to meet Delbert, Delbert lived right up the hill here. He was a runner that ran into his 60s to the very day of his stroke to where he could no longer run again and was a man that was rough around the edges and came to know Jesus and his life was radically changed. 
But I would ask him, I'd be like, Delbert, how do you run a marathon, man? Like, don't you get bored? He was like, no, I just love to run. I said, well, how do you get to where you can run a marathon? He said, you run. And he would just giggle. You run. How do you get to learn or how do you get to become a skilled runner or enjoying running? You run. But how do you run? You run with endurance, knowing that this is not always enjoyable. The life that God's called you to live may not always be pleasurable to you. It may not always give you the most amount of money. It may not always give you the highest status in your friends group. It may not always bring the best attention to you. I mean, there's, let's just be honest. If you and I are to truly walk in the life that God's called us to walk in, there's going to be family members and friends mock us. There's going to be people ridicule us because of our faith. I mean, if we truly possess the faith, and the reason we start with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is he says, because such a great of a cloud of witnesses. If you were to flip your Bible over to chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, you will read about all of these people who are Old Testament heroes. What did they all have in common? Two things. One, they were human beings, just like you and me. All of these people that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 were human beings, just like you and me, that had sin in their lives, that did good, good things in their lives, that were good neighbors, bad neighbors, they made mistakes, they all fell short, but they were blessed by God and they walked by faith in all that they did. So in order for you to truly walk into this new year and I'm going to be, I'm going to be a stronger Christian, I'm going to you know, cherish my spouse more, I'm going to nurture my kids more, I'm going to give more, I'm going to serve more, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. First, you have to run with endurance, knowing that not next week everything's going to be worked out. That in order to truly live the life that God's called you to live, you are going to have to endure some hardships. You're going to have to endure some pain. You know, you don't wake up one day and say, hey, you know what, in 2024, I'm going to run a marathon and just go run it. That would be silly, right? I recently heard that it's not a sin to uh, swim with a bowling ball attached to your leg. That is not a, that's not a sin. It's just not smart, right? It's just not very smart to do that. So we can't expect to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to go run marathons or, or my marriage is going to be repaired by tomorrow or my children who are living in rebellion are going to turn back to faith in Christ by tomorrow. There's going to be times in this life where we truly have to endure things that maybe we didn't want to endure, but in order to grow into the person God's calling us to be or to walk the walk or run the race that is set before us, we're going to have to endure some hardships. We're going to have to endure some people questioning why we continue to do what we do when the results aren't there yet. We might have to walk by faith, believing in things hoped for and having the, you know, the conviction of evidence of things yet seen. So there's going to be times where you and I, in order to walk by faith, we are going to have to endure some nights where we don't get the answers. We're going to pray some prayers that aren't answered immediately. We're going to ask for things that we may never receive. We're going to see things that we didn't want or ask for or even predict. And it's all about training ourselves to run with endurance and not being tossed from circumstance to circumstance. Or whenever we do come into contact with a little bit of hardship, we just flee and run the other way. So my prayer for you is that you would run with endurance to know that this life may get hard at times. There may be times where it hurts, but to push through and to endure it, knowing that you are growing in your faith and growing closer to Christ. I remember when, when we went to the gym for the very first time back in 2020, remember when we started Faith and Fitness? And I, I'll make a, you know, a confession, I was highly overweight and out of shape. And I thought, there is no way I'm going back in the gym. You know, I'm too prideful for that. If I can't do it and be the best, I don't want to do it at all. 
because I don't like to lose. I don't like to embarrass myself. And I remember going in there and thinking, I'll never even be able to do pull-ups again. You know, pulling that much weight is, is kind of hard. And I remember doing one, and over time, they got easier and easier and easier. But to be honest with you, I wanted to walk away on day one because it was hard, because it was embarrassing, or because it hurt. But because we endured, things improved. The same as whenever you begin a new diet. I, I think all of us hope to lose the 30 pounds by the end of the week or the 40 pounds by the end of the month. But realistically, we just can't do it. So instead of enduring a little bit of hardship and tension, we flee the other way because life's hard. I mean, we're all guilty of that at times, right? Life gets a little hard. And instead of pushing through, my oldest is almost a spinning image of me in some ways. Uh, doing long division, she hates it. She hates it because she's not very precise in her numbers and she's sloppy with her handwriting and, and I had to get on to her and, and I see in her at nine that some things come naturally to her and if they're naturally, you know, in her wheelhouse, she loves them. She puts every ounce of energy. She would shoot a basketball for five hours in a row, but she would not want to do more than three math problems of long division because it takes a little bit of work and, and we're trying to push her to know that there's times in life that you're going to just have to suffer and get over it and push through it. So I don't want you to walk into this new year thinking, okay, I'm going to be the person God's called me to be. I'm going to run this race, and then boom, you meet somebody that opposes your worldview, and then you just turn around and run. Or, or, or that prayer you pray isn't answered right away, and instead of pushing through and enduring, you just flee the other way. So please run with endurance. Next we see that he says to lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. And then he goes on to mention, and the sin that entangles. So there's two things here that we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss weights, and we're going to discuss sin. So it says, lay aside every weight. Let's just be honest. There are things that you are doing in your life right now that may not be sinful, but they may not be productive. And I am all for taking time to, you know, a little R&R is helpful and, and a reset or, you know, a few hours to do absolutely nothing is good for your brain, it's good for your body. But let's just be honest. You could see the weights that you're carrying that are preventing you from truly being the person God's called you to be if you were to go into the settings on your iPhone and look at your screen time. Let's just be honest. You could see some of the weights that are preventing you to growing in the word like God desires for you. There's things that you are doing that may not be sinful, but they are weights, as we can identify over the next few minutes, that are preventing you from running the race that God set before you. So I listed a few weights, and I want you to consider these. And then I want you, if you can think of something in your life that may not be sinful, but it's not adding any value to your marriage and you're just wasting time, or it's not helping you lead your children or your family in the way you should, or it's not benefiting your health, I want you to think about it. A few weights that I listed are these. Uh, we may find the weight identified in our screen time report on our uh, cell phones. A weight could be coming home from a long day and turning on the television and as we're glued to the television, the kids are glued to smartphones, and boom, before we know it, it's bedtime and time to do it all over again tomorrow, right? Turn the television on, and let's just kind of relax, and kids are good. They're in the other room. They're glued to their own iPhones. There's no family time. There's no family growth. There's no family devotion. Uh, weight may be excessive overtime hours to make that money, but we neglect our responsibility as a husband, wife, or father, mother. Not that it's sinful, but it could be a weight. Uh, a weight could be the contacts in your cell phone list. 
Maybe you don't view them as sinful, but maybe they keep you back from attaining what God's called you to attain. And the list could go on. I mean, there are things that you and I do in our lives that may not be sinful, but they are considered weights and prevent us from truly running the race that God's called us to run. As I mentioned earlier, it's not sinful to swim with a bowling ball. It's just not very smart. What are some things that you're carrying right now? What are some things that you're attached to right now that aren't sinful, aren't distancing you from Christ in that sense, but are preventing you from running the race that God's called you to run? What are they, what are they doing to your family? What are they doing to your mental health, to your spiritual health, to your physical health? I mean, what are they doing to your children? Uh, there are things that you and I, and, and if you can think of weights that you're carrying right now that you need to dispose of, you can write them down, you can think about them, but it's up to you to actually carry that, carry that out and follow through. The third thing we see is sin that so, cling, so closely clings to us. It says to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So let me just ask you, are you going to be perfect in 24? No. You'll probably sin before the first dawn. Let's just be honest. You will. I, I may. You may be sinning, not intentionally, but find yourself living in sin. Here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. I want you to look at the life that you're living. If there is sin that you are comfortably living in, I am pleading with you to repent from that and get out of it. And the reason I ask is because if you can identify things as sin that you know are sinful, it's your responsibility to repent. Um, I'm not going to stray away from preaching the word. You know, in 2024, there may be Sundays that you, you get a little upset with me or it may have felt like I walked all over your feet, and that's okay. I, I would rather stomp your toes and tickle your ears um, because stomp toes will make it into heaven one day. Tickled ears will burn in hell. Um, and, and that's fine. But I'm going to plead with you, if you're living in sin comfortably and intentionally, to repent of it. If you were to look at the life that you live and you say, I know this is a sinful habit. I know this is a sinful addiction. I know this is a sinful practice. I plead with you to repent. Because Jesus said that there are two types of people, right? There are, well, we know there's two types. There's Jesus followers and there's not. But Jesus identifies one group of people very clearly in the book of Revelation that he's going to spit right out of his mouth. And those people are what? Lukewarm. So what happens is we find ourselves living life, we're following Jesus, we're striving to live for Jesus, and then we're also closely attached to certain habits or lifestyles that, you know, we don't need to tell everybody about, we can just kind of cover up and we can hide, and they are, some of these things you do publicly, some of these things you may do privately. But there, if we're to truly run the race that God's called us to run, we cannot, one, carry the weights, or two, comfortably live in sin that he came to set us free from. So if you can identify sin in your life right now and you say, I know this is wrong, I plead with you to repent of it. And if you say, well, I don't know if this is sinful or not, and, and if it's not in the word and you reach out to someone and they say, yeah, this is sinful, I plead with you to take the counsel of people that you trust and to repent of the sin. I remember whenever I was growing up, I wanted to be faster, I wanted to be able to jump high, you know, and wanted to be athletic. One of the things that we tried doing when I was a teenager was wearing these ankle weights. Anybody remember these? They were, they were huge back in the early 2000s, kind of dating myself. Uh, 
huge back in like 2008, 2009. And I thought, man, I'm going to run with these. They were only like two or five pounds. You know, I'm going to put these on and I'm going to be able to run so much faster when I take them off. And, and then there was a lot of studies that came out to talk about the health effects it has on your knees and your ankles and how adding those weights in those places actually wasn't as good. But then I thought, well, it's only two or five pounds or whatever they were. And I thought, yeah, it's just a little bit of weight. And that's kind of what we do with sin, too. We think, ah, it's just a little bit. You know, it's not hurting anybody. No one has to know. We'll do it privately. And then a little bit more. You know, those ankle weights were probably just fine for me if they were only two or five pounds. But if I were to put five or six of those on each leg, I would have had issues. And that's kind of what we do with sin. We find ourselves so closely entangled by sin that one, no one needs to know if it's just a little bit. Because, but then sin's kind of like, you know, sickness around this time of year. If one person in the house gets it, guess what? Everybody gets it. And if it's just a little bit of sin that I'm going to flirt with, eventually we're going to find ourselves in much more to where that little bit of weight at the beginning that we thought was harmful or harmless is now adding more and more sin to our lives. And we crave sinful habits and we do everything we can to hide the sinful habits. And and we'll go to the extreme of living, you know, literally, you know, pocket or closet type people and want everything to be hidden and we'll put every mask on to cover who we really are because if people found out who we really were we would be embarrassed and what and it doesn't just happen overnight like that for some people it may but for some people it's just a little bit of sin and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and here's what I plead with you to do if you really want to be the person that God's called you to be you have to get rid of all of it you cannot flirt with Jesus and flirt with sin Holiness and sinfulness do not go together. You either hot for him or you're cold. Lukewarm people were just like people who are cold. They will eventually be spit out of his mouth. Jesus says that if you practice sin, he doesn't talk about the severity of it or the measuring of it. He just says if you practice sin, you are enslaved to sin. And he's come to set us free, as we discussed next door just a bit ago, that you and I would put away the chains of sinfulness and the enslavement that sin brings to us, and we would carry the chains of righteousness and holiness. So what I want you to do is, one, identify any weights that are holding you back and keeping you from being the person that God's called you to be. And some of those weights could be relationships or even family members who continue to question you, doubt you, or question God. And and some of these sinful habits that you just comfortably live in or quietly hide, I plead with you to repent of because in order to truly run the race God set before you, you have to lay aside every. Does it say big ones? No, it says every weight and sin. All of it. Not just the big ones. Not just the harmful ones. But it says to let... It lay aside every weight and every sin. And lastly, we, we conclude with what verse 2 says. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what we do. In order to truly run this race and to be the person that God's called us to be, we look at who? Jesus. In order for me to be who God's called me to be, I cannot compare myself to you. Because your race and my race are different. Your responsibilities and my responsibilities are different. Some of you have more responsibilities than I do. Some of you have less responsibilities than I do. But none of us can truly measure whose responsibilities are greater other than the fact we all have the same responsibility, which is to follow Christ. 
So if, if I want to run this race that God's called me to run, if I want to be the person that God's called me to be, if I want to cherish my wife and love her as God's called me to do it, if I want to lead the children in my home the way that God's called me to do it, if I want to pastor this church and lead this church in the way that God's called me to do it, I can only look at one place, at Christ. I can only look to Him. Because Jesus gives me the example of who I am to be, how I am to live, how I am to love, how I am to extend mercy and grace. But he also gives me such a high standard that if I look to you and I compare myself to you, I might find myself getting lazy because there's going to be days where I'm better than you. There's going to be days where you look better than your neighbor. There's going to be days where you look at your neighbor and think, well, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I don't struggle with that. But if you constantly look at Christ, guess what? The standard is so high, you will never be able to compare yourself to him. And you will always be wanting to achieve more, accomplish more. I was talking with Michaela's cousin last night, and we were talking about my sermon. And I said, you know, I said, if you were to be invited to go play basketball with Michael Jordan just one time, would you just kind of play lazy? Or would you say, I'm going to give everything I have because I want MJ to think I'm a good player, right? I mean, if you were to be invited to go golf with Tiger Woods just one round, if you were invited to go, to go cook with Rachel Ray just one time, if you were invited to you know, go on this TV show with Steve Harvey one time and host you know, the game shows that he's, if you were to picture the best in whatever field that you desire and be invited to be with the best in that category for just one time, what kind of effort would you put in it? If I were to be invited to play basketball one-on-one with Michael Jordan, I would beat him. <laughs> not, maybe not. But I would play as hard as I could knowing that I am being invited by the best. If Tiger invited me to play around, he would regret that after about two holes. And, and I would do everything I could. David knows. Alan knows. But if you were to be invited by the best, and that's essentially what Christ has done. He's inviting you to live a life here on this earth until you die imitating him. And in order to really run the race and to be the husband or to be the wife that God's called you to be or to be the employee or the employer that God's called you to be, to be the worship leader or the Sunday school teacher or the brother or sister that God's called you to be, what do you do? You look at Jesus because he's actually inviting you to run this race that he has set before you. And he gives you the, standard, the, the measuring standard of perfection, holiness, righteousness, mercy, grace, love, and judgment. He, he is the embodiment of God in flesh, Jesus. Now he's seated at the throne of grace, at the right hand of the Father. So if you want to run this race that God has for you this year, if you want to be that person, if you want to accomplish the goals that you have, if you want to walk out the dreams that God has laid in your heart, if you want to reach those people that you've been praying for, if you want to see your marriage truly healed and restored, if you want to see your kids and your grandkids come back from living in rebellion as prodigal children, the only way that you can do it is to truly set your eyes upon Jesus and to imitate Jesus. Because I promise you this, some of my goals are to strengthen my marriage. I believe Michaela is my greatest asset on this planet and one of the best people that you could ever know. In order to strengthen my marriage, which I don't think is weak by any means, but I always want it to be healthier. I always want it to grow and I always want to spend more time with my wife. Like I want to strengthen my marriage. How do I strengthen my marriage? Not by looking at you, 
or scrolling through Facebook or reading experts and their advice, but looking to the author of marriage. If I want to be the father that God's called me to be and to raise the kids like God's called me to do and lead them to him, how do I do that? I don't do it by reading books, although they can be helpful. I do it by looking at my father. If I want to be the best minister that I can be and and preach the gospel like God's called me to and do things like God's called me to and to walk out in faith like God's called me to, I can't do it by comparing myself to televangelists or people I see on YouTube. I can only do it by looking at the ultimate shepherd and minister and the embodiment of God in Christ. If you want to do anything in this life, and be the person that God's called you to be, you can only be it by fixing your gaze upon Jesus and trying to imitate him in all you do. So I plead with you, before you leave here, think about, one, the weights that you may be carrying, two, the sin that may be entangling you and enslaving you, but three, take your eyes off your neighbor. Take your eyes off the Instagram reels of people that put on their best face. Take your eyes off the comparison traps that you find on Facebook. Take your eyes off of people that seem to have it all together and fix your eyes on Christ. He is the author and the finisher, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Let's pray.